Welcome to the Podcast at the Hill. You are about to hear a message from Pastor Daniel Blaylock entitled, A Line in the Sand. And amen. If you have your Bible this morning, I'm in Daniel the first chapter. Amen. Daniel the first chapter. As we talk about Graduate Sunday today, if I had a subject, it would simply be a line in the sand. Say that with me. A line in the sand. I want to talk to you about that today. Uh, As we think about the world that you and I are called to live in, it is often like the story that we're going to read today. If you're a graduate today, whether you are stepping from high school into college or from college into your first job, I want to tell you today, you're entering into a brand new world. In many ways, you're about to launch out onto a journey in uncharted water for you. As Christians, we often find it to be a hostile environment where we're called to study or serve. And I want to talk to you today from God's Word about how we can be prepared for that. You may be here today and say, well, Pastor, I'm not a graduate. Well, then you're already living in that hostile environment, and you know better than anyone that what I'm going to share today is true because you encounter it day by day. And my prayer is that the message today would be a strength for all of us, an encouragement to us as we live in a world that tries to squeeze us into its mold, as Romans 12 and 2 says, and that we would find the, in, the, the ability on the inside by God's Spirit to push back against the world that's pushing hard against us. Amen? Amen. Open your Bible, if you will, to Daniel chapter 1, and we're going to read from the first eight verses together. Daniel chapter 1, verses 1 to 8. Hear the word of the Lord today. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand with some of the articles of the house of God, which he carried into the land of Shinar to the house of his God. And he brought the articles into the treasure house of his God. Then the king instructed Ashpenaz, the master of his eunuchs, to bring some of the children of Israel and some of the king's descendants and some of the nobles, young men in whom there was no blemish but good-looking, gifted in all wisdom, possessing knowledge and quick to understand, who had ability to serve in the king's palace and whom they might teach the language and literature of the Chaldeans. And the king appointed for them a daily provision of the king's delicacies and of the wine which he drank and three years of training for them so that at the end of that time they might serve before the king. Now from among those of the sons of Judah were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. To them, the chief of the eunuchs gave names. He gave Daniel the name Belteshazzar. To Hananiah, Shadrach. To Mishael, Meshach. And to Azariah, Abednego. But Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with the portion of the king's delicacies, nor with the wine which he drank. Therefore he requested of the chief of the eunuchs that he might not defile himself. May God bless the reading of his word and his people said, Amen. Amen. Pray with me once again. Father, bless us now as we approach your word. Lord, may we always come to it, whether we're standing here or sitting there, as the student, not the teacher. And may you instruct our hearts in it by your Spirit, who's come to teach us all. In Jesus' name, God's folks said, 
Amen. Amen. Let let me put the picture into your mind of what's really going on in the passage. In the Bible, there are two cities that come up over and over in the whole book. Uh, This place, Babylon, harkens back to Genesis, to the Tower of Babel, and it represents from the very beginning this idea of society or the world trying to operate without God. Say, without God. That's basically what Babylon represents. Babylon is the city that represents the world without God. Got it? Babylon is the world without God. The world trying to operate independent of God. The world making up its own rules as it goes along. The world setting its own standards. The world ignoring God, pushing God to the sides, not wanting God to have any place in the very room that he created for himself to dwell. Babylon is is the world without God. That's what it represents. There's a competing city in the Bible all the way through from one end to the other. And that city is Zion. Say Zion. Zion is also known as Jerusalem, right? And Jerusalem is the city of God. It's the place where God's temple is located. And not only is it a physical city, like Babylon is a physical city, but in the Bible, they are symbolic cities. They're archetypes. They are symbols of greater realities. Jerusalem, Zion, represents the the people who belong to God and who want to live under God's rule and who want God to be dwelling among them and to have God's blessing and to do life God's way. That is Jerusalem or Zion. And then Babylon is the world without God, the world rejecting God. And so you have these two cities. Now, when you think about the story I just read in that way, all of a sudden it moves from uh, a, a few hundred years B.C. It moves right into the realm of time and space where you and I live today, right? This is as current as the news this morning when you turned on your television set. You and I live in a world where there are two cities, and those two cities are always competing and pushing back against one another. And everyone that you know lives under the, under the governance of one of those two cities. You are either a child of Babylon or you are a child of Zion today. Amen. You either live under the rule of God or you live under the rule of the evil one. But the problem for us today who live this side of heaven is very simple. We are much like I read about in the story today. We live in a world that has been taken over by the evil one. We live in a world where the devil is called the prince of this world, the god of this world, the prince of the power of the air. He has dominion over the sons of disobedience who live in the world around us. The world you and I live in is largely under the sway of the evil one. The Bible makes that very clear, and that will be true to a large degree until Jesus comes back again. And it, but you and I don't belong to that system. You and I are sons and daughters of Zion. We're children of God. We love the Lord. We want the Lord to be present. We long to live under the rule of King Jesus. And yet, here we are in Babylon. Here we are in a world that does not honor the Lord. And how do we live in a world like that? Well, the story here is a great way of understanding that. In fact, the book of Daniel is a great tool in helping those of us who live in the world but who are not of the world, as the Bible says in the New Testament. These cities go all the way through. In the Bible, in the book of Revelation, at the end of the age, Babylon falls. 
Now, is that a literal city? It may represent a literal city. But what it's really talking about is this world system that ignores God. It's going to cave one day. It's going to fall. And what's going to replace it is the city that John saw coming down out of heaven. Amen? The city, the new Jerusalem, the dwelling place of the Lamb of God where King Jesus will reign and rule forever and ever. Amen? That is the good news. Nebuchadnezzar, this king of Babylon, surrounded Jerusalem. He entered God's temple. He took some of the gold for his treasury. Then he ordered his next in command to choose some of Israel's best and brightest young men. Daniel and his three friends are among the group that are chosen. And just like the story, the world you and I live in today, the ruler of this world system, the enemy, the devil, that that arch enemy called Satan in the Bible is looking for young men and women whom he can steal from the house of God and enlist in his service in the world and I want you to notice how it works and what we can do in reply to that. Number one I want you to notice who does Satan want? Who does he want? Notice this today. Who does Satan want? Whom is he after as targets in the world you and I live in? Well Notice what the Bible says. Verses 3 and 4, bring some of the children of Israel and some of the king's descendants and some of the nobles, young men in whom there is no blemish, but good-looking, gifted in all wisdom, possessing knowledge, quick to understand, who had the ability to serve in the king's palace. He was looking for young people with potential. Say potential. Notice how the Bible describes them. Number one, they were good-looking. Amen? Graduates, why don't you look at your neighbor and say, I am, aren't I? Yeah, good looking. Good looking graduates we had up here today. Our world places a very high value on physical appearance. Have you noticed that? Our world places a high value on how you look. It matters greatly to the world how you appear physically. And that matters to them. Some of the people that are that our beauty are attracts are not safe people. And listen, you need to know that. There are people who will be attracted to you because of your handsomeness or your beauty, and some of them will be dangerous people who are attracted for the wrong reasons, not because they want to help you, but because they want to use you. That's what was happening in the story here. So be careful if you're good-looking. That can be a blessing, but it can be a curse. Right, all the beautiful people? It's a, it's a cross to bear, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, it is, it is. Amen. They were good looking. Number two, they were smart. So they were smart. You know, the the 14 people that stood across the stage this morning didn't get here by being dumb. Amen. Amen. They, They didn't get to stand here by being unintelligent. They got here because they worked hard and they displayed that they... Uh, were smart, they had learned, they had been educated. The enemy would love to get you onto his team today. He would love to draft you onto his team. He would love to take the energy and ability that you have and instead of serving God's church, use that to promote his own agenda and kingdom. And if you're not careful, he'll have you before you know. Number three, they were leaders. Say leaders. The Bible tells us very clearly that these people had the ability to lead. He said, find those who will be able to serve in the king's palace. Those who have leadership potential. Find them. Satan would love for you to get so busy using your leadership ability to earn a living and climb the social ladder in your community that you don't have time and energy left to serve in the church or advance the kingdom of God. Don't fall into that trap. The enemy would love to pull you into that. He's looking for young people with potential, young people with a destiny. Say a destiny. 
You see, the Bible says that the ones that were chosen were descendants of the king and nobles. Amen? Uh, These were king's kids. They were important people. They were nobility. They were part of the ruling class. And so they had a heritage. Say a heritage. But they also had a future. Say a future. You see, the plan was they were going to be the next rulers of Jerusalem. These people were the sons and daughters of the leadership. They, were the, they weren't the king, but they were the princess. They weren't the noble, but they were the sons of the nobles. They were the next generation of leadership in the house of God. They were the people who were destined to step up and lead God's city into the next generation. And what happens is the enemy comes in and takes them out of the city of God and transplants them to Babylon. And now the house of God, the city of God has been robbed of the future leadership that these men would have brought. Can I tell you today, you need to know that if you're a young person with potential and destiny, the devil has a target painted on your back today. He's gunning for you. He's pulling for you. He wants to pull you out of the house of God. He wants to get you out of the kingdom of God. And he wants to pull you into the world and use your ability to advance his agenda and for you not to be used to promote the kingdom of God. That's what he longs for. You need to know that. He perceives you as a threat and he wants to derail you from accomplishing God's purpose and calling on your life. Amen? While, no, so who does Satan want? He wants young people with potential and destiny. But why does he want you, number two? Why does he want them? Notice why he wanted to draft them in. The Bible tells us in verse 5, so that at the end of that time they might serve before the king. You see, you often hear in church, God has a wonderful plan for your life. Yes, God does have a wonderful plan for your life. But can I tell you something? So the devil has a not so wonderful plan for your life too. He does. He has a plan for your life. The God has a plan, amen, uh, but, but the devil scheme. <laughs> He's got a plot. He has something sinister that he has planned for your life. He wants to destroy your destiny. He wants to pull you away. God has a plan, but so does the enemy. Satan wants to use your talents and influence for his kingdom. We see this happen all the time in the world we live in. Some of you, like myself, probably enjoy watching some of the entertainment shows that come on television these days. I remember when American Idol came out and many of us got hooked on that. And then The Voice has been the newest rage of musical talent. Some of us like America's Got Talent. It has a little more variety. But if you watch any of these shows, the one thing you notice pretty quickly is this. There's this theme that runs through all those shows. Half those people who step up and take the stage... Often, the most gifted ones who step up and take the stage, where did they sing and singing? In the church. They graduated from Christian universities. They sang in gospel groups. They started out in their choir or their youth group or their praise team or the orchestra pit of their local congregation. That's where they began. That's where they developed their ability and their talent. The devil wants to use you. He wants to pull you out. He wants to promote the world's lifestyle. Now, what's the problem with that? Well, listen, there are a few people who go on there and they stay true to their values and they sing about the Lord and they make their stand and they don't get pulled into the world around them. And I'm thankful for the people who do that, who try to go there and be light in the dark and be a witness. But can I tell you, the story that happens most of the time is not that story. What happens most of the time is the story of people like Elvis Presley 
who walked into a recording studio that day to record a gospel album and began playing something else on the side and the record producer overheard that and said, I want to record that instead of what you came in here to record. And the next thing you know, he's launched and the destiny on his life to use his gift to lead men and women into an encounter with Jesus has been co-opted by the world And for the next several years of his life, what he ends up promoting and falling into is a lifestyle completely opposite to what he was raised in or what he was called to promote. Amen. A lifestyle of alcohol and sexual misconduct and illegal drugs and the party scene and all the things that go along with that and the fame of his day. What happened to this young Assemblies of God boy who grew up in a Pentecostal home around Tupelo, Mississippi? I'll tell you what happened. The enemy took him to Babylon and converted him to serve in the house of the God of this world. And I want to tell you he's coming for you. And he wants the same thing for you. And you have to be on your guard and on top of your game if it's not going to happen to you. Do you hear me? Many of us think, well, I'll be different. Mightier men than you and I have fallen to the sword of popularity and fame and wealth. We must be careful. Well, how does that happen to us? Well, number three, what is his plan? Let's move quickly. How did he do this? What was his plan to form these men into the kind of people that he could use? Well, number one, he changed their environment. Say their environment. He got them out of Jerusalem into Babylon. He changed their culture. He put them in a whole new environment where they did not have the support network of home. They weren't around their mom and dad anymore. They weren't around their grandmother and grandfather anymore. They didn't live near the temple anymore. They didn't walk by smelling the sacrifices to God morning and evening. They didn't hear the sounds of God's people at the temple worshiping and praising God. They didn't hear their mother and father reciting the morning prayers every morning now whenever they woke up for breakfast. They're in a completely new city. He surrounded them with a different world with new language and new values and new customs and clothing. Some of you are in a new place or you're about to step into a new place. You may have moved up from elementary to middle school this year and all of a sudden you're in a whole new world and you're dealing with temptations you never even knew about before. You may have stepped into high school or college. You may have walked into your first job. I don't know where you are today, but if you move into a new world, there's a danger attached to that. Be very careful. If you don't watch it, you'll start talking like they do and dressing like they do and acting like they do. And your values will become the values of the world rather than the values of the kingdom of God. Hear me today. Be careful with that. Number two, he changed their education. Say their education. And I want, I want to dwell on this for just a moment today. Education is a wonderful thing until you get educated beyond your intelligence. And many of your professors will be. Do you hear me? Many of the men and women that you will sit under will, will have been educated beyond their intelligence. What do you mean by that, Pastor? Now listen, I have an earned 90-hour master's degree. So don't go out of here and say that I'm against education. Lord, I left a lot of money somewhere if I was against education, right? (laughs) I'm not against education. If anyone's for it, I am. But I'm also not, not, you know, unaware of the dangers that can go along with higher education. Be careful. 
Why? Because the world we live in, there are oftentimes people who are there who have an agenda. And their agenda is not to teach you what you came there to major in, but their agenda is to form you into a certain kind of person. They're there for you to walk out believing a certain set of values. And they are more committed to that than they are making sure you learn a trade or you get the skills under your belt that you need to know to be able to do your job when you leave. Hmm. Is that true? You better believe it's true. I graduated from the University of Mississippi. It is a school Ole Miss is supported by the the dollars of lots of good conservative people. But I want to tell you, I encountered some of the most intolerant, irreligious, liberal people during my time there of any place I've ever been on God's green earth. Yeah. I remember attending an advanced English composition class where my best friend was a pipe-smoking, beer-drinking, Presbyterian young man named Jim. And Jim was the closest thing to a fellow Christian within 30 seats of me. Do you hear me? Jim was my friend in that class because Jim and I were the only two guys in the room who believed that Jesus died and rose again on the third day and that the Bible was the word of God and that you weren't crazy for believing the Christian faith. And every day Jim and I would meet one another at the door and we'd pat one another on the shoulder and we'd look one another in the face and go, you ready? And he'd go, nope, but we got to (laughs) go. And Jim and I would walk in and sit back to back and for the next hour we would fight as other students and the professor declared the worldview of Babylon and tried to shape our minds to accept the views of those who don't love or know God. And we would push back against the darkness that was pushing against us. And education was a tool the enemy tried to use to squeeze us into the mold of this world. Be careful. He put them through a three-year set of training where they learned the language and the customs and the literature of Babylon. They were learning the religion of Babylon. Don't miss that. They were learning the religion of Babylon. Three-year program. Sounds like college, doesn't it? Yeah, don't miss the illusion there. It's very similar. Be careful of what they try to teach you in school. The enemy wants to brainwash you and make you believe that the Bible is just like any other book, that it is simply a human book and that it is not inspired by God, that the world just came about by chance and so it's okay to do what you want to because there's no God who designed it or has a purpose for it or who will call it into account one day along with every individual in it to Give, stand in judgment for the way they live their lives. They will declare there's no creator, no purpose, no one to whom you will answer on the last day for how you've lived. That there are no absolutes, that right and wrong and morality are just cultural inventions that vary from one culture by, to another. I want to tell you these things are lies, they're not true. And there are good answers to all of those issues. And you need to be aware that when you walk in, you're stepping into a war zone. You're stepping into a hostile environment as a young man or young woman of God. And you need to be ready for that. He changed their environment and their education. And he changed their peers, say their peers. 
He put people around them to try to win them over. Now, you, he, they might be mad at the king, and the king knew he couldn't convince them uh, on his own. They're angry at him for having brought them to this place. So what did he do? He put them in college. He put other people around them who were the same age as them, who had the values that he wanted them to adopt, and they became the ones who sold them the bill of goods. It wasn't the king's pressure. It was the peer pressure of young men and women their own age that stood to squeeze them into the world's image. And I want to tell you that is one of the greatest challenges when you step into high school or college or even the workplace is suddenly you're surrounded by people and those people are pressuring you to fit into a certain mold and believe a certain thing and act a certain way and it is hard to swim upstream against that. One of the reasons is because there is much pleasure to be had if you will compromise your values. Notice what the king did to win them over. The Bible said, listen, he could have fed them bread and water. They were brought here as prisoners against their will, but that's not what the king fed them. Do you notice their diet? The Bible says the king went to his own kitchen and went to his own head chef and said, whatever you make for me, I want you to make the same thing for these college students, and I want their table to look just like my table. The wine that I drink, not the cheap stuff, the good stuff. I want that to flow on the table around the college table just like it does around my In other words, the enemy was going to use pleasure to try to win their hearts over away from God to the gods of Babylon so that he could brainwash them. Verse 5, the king appointed a daily provision of his delicacies and the wine which he drank. There it is. He tries to make us forget that he's the enemy by offering us pleasure in the world around us. Each night they sat with their Babylonian classmates. Everyone was filling their belly with unclean food that had been sacrificed to idols. Everyone else was drinking wine to the point of drunkenness and doing whatever they wanted to. And the peer pressure was great. Not only their environment and their education. Not only did he change their peers, he even changed their names. Say their name. Notice the names they had when they showed up. The Bible says when they came into Babylon, they had good biblical Hebrew names. Their names are significant today. Why? Because in the Bible, names had a meaning. Your name was given to you by your mom and dad prophetically. Your parents named you in the hope that you would grow up and become what they called you. In a real sense, we still do this today. Nero was a famous Caesar. Paul was a prisoner of Nero's. But today we name our dogs Nero and our boys Paul, right? <laughs> Why? Because we don't want our kids to grow up and be like the one, and we do want them to be like the other, right? We name them in the hope that they'll live into that good name and become that. We name them after a member of our family whom we admire, and we hope that they'll adopt the qualities of that good person. Amen? The enemy wanted to change their names. Why? Because they had good names. The Bible says one of them, his name was Daniel. Say Daniel. Daniel means God is my judge. 
That's a great name. My name meant a lot to me at one point in my life. When others were pressuring me, I found out the meaning of my name. And my name reminded me every time I heard it. You don't have to answer to them. You only have to answer to the Lord. You don't have to please them or impress them. God is my judge. That's a great name. That's a great name, amen? And that name, and and when Daniel heard his name, what he heard was, hey, God is my judge. You want to join us? Hey, God is my judge. Are you going to come drinking with us? No, I'm not, because God is my judge. (laughs) Amen? God is my judge. You're going to come over? My parents aren't home. We could have a lot of fun. Oh, no, God is my judge, and I'm not coming. (laughs) Amen? Amen? Hananiah meant the Lord is gracious. Every time they called his name, hey, the Lord is gracious. How did you do on the math test yesterday? Mishael, who is like the Lord? Good morning, who is like the Lord? Are you having a good day? Well, with a name like that, how could you not have a good day? Who is like the Lord? Amen. Azariah, the Lord is my helper. Name. Good morning, the Lord is my helper. Do you think you can face the day? You better believe I can face the day. The Lord is my helper. Amen. Every time they heard their name, they were reminded that they had been marked with the name of God and that they belonged to Him. It's interesting today when you go to a pagan country and people become Christians, they change their names. Whenever you go to India and someone leaves Hinduism and they're baptized, they change their name. They want you to change their name whenever you baptize them. You mark them with a new name. The Bible says when we get to heaven, we'll have a stone with a new name on it. Amen? God knows my name. He knows my identity. But what did the enemy try to do? He tried to change their names. In fact, except for Daniel, you probably didn't even know their Hebrew names. You and I learned their Babylonian names, didn't we? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They would be embarrassed to hear us call them that today. Why? Because they didn't want to be called that. These were the names of pagan Babylonian gods that were worshipped in the culture. They were trying to change their identity. And I want to tell you guys, when you get into college, when you step into your first job, when you get involved in the world around you, the world will try to change your name. The world will try to put a label on you. The world will try to get you to be something other than what you've always purposed in your heart that you would be. They'll try to make you to forget your heritage. They'll try to make you think you're just like everybody else. They'll try to warp your character because in the Bible, your name is your character. A good name is rather to be chosen than great, great riches. Your character, your reputation. I want to tell you the right to name someone belongs to the Father. Say the Father. The Father is the one who gets to name his children. You live in a world that will try to change your name, but I want to remind you today that whenever you became a Christian, you marched into this baptistry. Most of you in this room, it was that little spot right there behind me. And when you stepped into that baptistry, we plunged your head under the water and we marked you in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost and we buried you into Jesus. Christ that day you've been marked with the name of God you are a child of God you are a son and a daughter of God don't let some professor who has a couple degrees behind their name and letters that you don't even know what they mean tell you who you are you know who you are God already told you who you are You've got an identity. You might need an education and you might need a degree, but you don't need a world view. You've already got one. Amen. 
Walk in, square your shoulders like these four young men did and say, we may be here and we can't help but be here, but we will not become what is around us. What was their response? And I'm closing this morning. Verse 8, but Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself. Read that with me. But Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself. I can't help that I live in Babylon. I can't help what my teachers are teaching me for three years. I can't help what my fellow classmates are doing all me. But the one thing that Daniel could do is he can make a personal decision. He could purpose in his heart. He could draw a line in the sand and say, here I stand. God help me. I can do no other. This is who I am and this is where I stand. And God expects each of us to do that. Amen? What did it look like? Well, number one, he refused the unclean food. He said, I'm not going to eat this food that is not a kosher. I'm not going to eat food that's been offered to idols. I'm not going to drink the king's wine. I will not defile myself. I won't touch anything God has forbidden me to touch. Can I tell you, young person, you will be greatly tempted in the days ahead to put things in your body and do things with your body that you ought not do. And there is an attitude that runs through this world that says, what I do with my body doesn't affect my soul, doesn't affect my spirit. What I drink or what I use or who I'm sexually involved with doesn't affect my relationship with God. I want to tell you that is not what the Word of God says. The Bible says your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit whom you've received from God. And if you defile God's temple, God will destroy you and judge you because you defiled that temple. And you see around us today people who've been destroyed because of the life choices they made that flew in the face of God. Because they didn't keep these kinds of matters within the boundary lines that God had commanded us to. They refused the unclean food. You see, you can't wait until you get in the middle of the storm to determine your convictions. Can I be real frank with you today? The kids are in kids' church, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be plain today, okay? When you're in the back seat of a car is not when you figure out what you believe about premarital sex. When you're at a party and somebody slides you a fifth is not when you make up your mind whether you believe in social drinking or not. Whenever somebody's at a party and they slide you a little packet of something that you've never seen before is not the moment to determine what you believe about drug use. That's not the time. You purpose in your heart like Daniel did right now on the first day before you ever step in there and say, I know who I am. I know who my God is. I will not get pulled under. I'm not going there. I've made a decision. I've made a pre-decision. Say a pre-decision. Amen. You've cast your vote before you ever get in the situation. I learned early on that that's what I had to do. Number two, they rejected unholy labels. Say labels. They couldn't help what the king called them when they were in his presence. They couldn't help what their professors called them. But whenever they got back to their room, whenever they got back to their community, the people that they gathered around themselves, listen, they didn't refer to Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego. When they got alone with each other, they called one another Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Every time they got around one another, one another by their Hebrew names. I want to urge you today, you need to make sure that there's some people in your life who always are there to remind you who you are and what you're destined to become and who tell you that you're not like everybody else and that's why you don't do what everyone else does. Well, I want to do what they do. No, baby, your destiny is so much greater than theirs. 
Your destiny is greater than theirs. You can't do what they do. God's got something special for you. And you can't defile yourself and be used of God. Don't do it. Finally, they resisted ungodly pressure. Say pressure. Down history, God's people had a secret of maintaining their identity, of not getting sucked into the culture around them. What was that secret? It was the community of the people of God. It was community. Say community. Community makes the difference. Within the larger Hebrew community, they forged traditions. They stuck together. When they got to Babylon, they all moved together into the same part of the city. They lived around one another. They supported one another. They had a group within the group. They created a culture within the culture. That's why it's so important that you be part of the church. What is the church? It's a colony of heaven. It's a group of people who don't live like the world around them, but they live like the world that they're headed to. Amen? They belong to God. They're in the world, but they're not of the world. Their values aren't like the world. They love one another, they take care of one another, and they constantly remind one another of their identity. You need a group of people like that in your life. Daniel and his friends were outnumbered, but they were not alone. Say, not alone. They, they stuck together in that larger Hebrew community. Daniel and his three friends forged a relationship with one another that kept them accountable to one another to not get sucked into the culture around them. When I went to Ole Miss, the smartest thing that I ever did, and it wasn't even my idea, but I went along with it. It was a great idea, and it helped me. When I moved to Ole Miss, I moved with three of my best friends. Daniel and the three Hebrew children, right? We had two Daniels. My roommate was Danny. Two Dannys. Amen. And an Andrew and a Chris to boot. There was a Pentecostal, a Baptist, a Presbyterian, and a Methodist. We went to four different churches every Sunday morning. On Tuesday night, we attended the local Baptist Student Union because that was the one we were most comfortable with together. Every night, Monday through Thursday night, we had supper in our own home. We sat around our table. We talked about our day. We asked one another tough questions. We prayed with one another. If one of us got serious about a young woman, that young woman got invited over to sit at the table. And the rest of us got to know that young woman. And we asked them questions. One night a young woman came over and said, well, don't y'all have a cozy little family here? I don't know how I feel about that. She never came back and they didn't make it. Why? We were a community. We walked into that campus and said, we know who we are. We know who our God is. We have commitments to Jesus. We will not get pulled under by the current of this place. And you know what? We didn't. We didn't. But it was because we had some friends and we had a larger network of Christians around us. I walked in my first week. There wasn't a church of God. I went to the assembly of God. Close enough, right? Amen. All you former AG people say amen. Amen. I went to the assembly of God. I walked in. I shook the pastor's hand. I said, I'm here for the next two years. Here's my phone number. If you don't see me, call me. It is your responsibility to not let me backslide between now and 1999. Amen. Don't you let me get up here and die and go to hell. My mama will come after you if you do. You hear me? Amen. You need a community. You need a network of friends. God's calling some of you right now. Hear that? Amen. You need a group of people who will help you. When they, listen, these three faced the fiery furnace together. You can make it through anything if you've got some godly friends. Even when Daniel was in the lion's den alone, I'm convinced in my heart that there were three men on their face all night crying out to God for him. 
when he faced the darkest night. And that when the dawn broke, there were three Hebrew children who were shouting, just like Daniel was shouting, that God had heard their prayer. You need some people. Listen, there's a wolf that tries to pick off God's sheep, and a lonely sheep is a dead sheep. Don't get alone. Don't get isolated. You need a campus ministry. You need something like the Hill College and Career that we talked about this morning. You need a group of friends on your campus who love the Lord. You need to surround yourself with a support network who love God. You will become a combination of your five closest friends over the course of the next few years. Did you hear me? Show me your five closest friends and I'll show you what you will become in the next five years. You will become a combination of their strengths and weaknesses. A wise man said, show me your friends and I'll show you your future. You become like what you hang around, whether for good or for ill. If you want to advance, pull some people around you who are better than you and you'll get better. Talk them into letting you in the group, even though you're a bad influence. Amen? <laughs> Lord, help us. Stand with me all over the Lord's house. The most important choices you will ever make in your life are relationship choices. Did you hear me? The most important choices you will ever make in your life are relationship choices. We're going to sing a closing hymn this morning, an old hymn. I'm going to ask Chad to lead it. I have decided to follow Jesus. You learned it when you were this high. I want you to sing it again. Because the song you learned in Sunday school is the song that will keep you through your whole life. Amen? Chad wasn't ready for that. I did not give him pre-warning. I apologize. <laughs> Key of C and I'll help you. Whatever you want to put it in. Amen. Listen today. If you're here today and you have never trusted Jesus as Lord and Savior and you thought, I'll get to it later. If you're about to step into one of these major transitions, you listen to me with all, with all your heart. You better do it now. Because once you step into college, once you step into this world, there is a strong current that runs through it that, will, that is designed to pull you away from God. You don't wait. You fix this now. Don't you step into August in your first round of classes without knowing that your heart is fully surrendered to Jesus. Why? Because there's a target on you and the enemy's going to pull after you. Don't step into your first job. Don't move off away from your mama and daddy without knowing that you have a relationship with God that is strong and intact. And number two, don't step out without knowing you've got a community of people around you who love God like you do. Don't do it. You need to take some friends with you to college. You need to take some friends with you. You need to have a, a good church. If you're staying here, then stay here. Amen? Amen. If you're going off to some other place, find you a good local church as soon as you get there. If you need help, we will help you find a good local church. Amen? If there's not a church of God there, I promise there's something close enough. Amen? We're everywhere. Amen? There's somebody that shouts like we do in every town, I guarantee you. Okay? We will find <laughs> We'll find you a place where they preach the Bible and love Jesus. But you need a community. At the end of the day, though, nothing replaces the commitment that Daniel made. There are times when our friends can stand with us, but there are times when we face a lion's den. And at the end of the day, the choice is ours alone. Why could Daniel face the lion's den as an old man? I'll tell you why. Because the first night he laid his head on the pillow in Babylon, he purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself. If you will make a commitment now and stick to it, it'll hold you all through your lifetime. 
Raise your hand if you're in the room and you've served God for over 50 years. Raise it high. I want you to look around the room. These are some men and women who purposed in their heart they wouldn't defile themselves. You can do it. You can make it. And if you get stuck, grab one of them. They'll show you how. Amen. Would you pray with me? Father, in Jesus' name, I pray today. If there's a young man or woman who's stepping out of high school into college today that doesn't have a strong relationship with Jesus, let today be the day when they surrender their heart fully and say, Lord, I dare not step into that new world of Babylon without having my roots deeply in your word. Lord Jesus, I'm surrendering my heart. I'm anchoring in you. Lord, I pray today for those that are transitioning from college to the workplace. Maybe somewhere along the way they didn't keep a firm grip on their faith. I pray that this morning will be a morning when, like Daniel, they purpose in their heart, I am going to make sure that my commitment to God is firm and strong before I step into the world that will try to pull me away from Him. Lord, I pray today, if there's anyone here who needs to strengthen that commitment to you, today would be the day they do it. In Jesus' strong name, that God's people said. If you need to pray, I'm here to pray with you. But what I want us to do together before we go today is to... Thank you for listening to our podcast at The Hill. We pray that you are blessed by this message. For more information on what's happening at The Hill and to stay connected, visit our website at foresthillcog.org, join our Facebook page, facebook.com slash foresthillcog, or download our app from the iTunes or Google Play Store.